Uh, hey, welcome to church, everybody. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. I serve as uh, one of your pastors here and the lead pastor for this worship community that we call The Well. It's good to be in worship with you each and every week. And for those of you that might be finding yourselves here for the first time or first time in a long time, Welcome to you. Uh, after the service, um, I will be down here at the front of the well to meet anybody, uh, especially those of you that are here for the first time. would love the chance to meet you. Pastor Tina will be doing the same uh, up in the loft uh, there. So if you have time after service, we'd love the chance to, to get to know you a little bit. So come by and visit with us. Uh, thank you to everybody who has said so many wonderful things um, uh, about Mother's Day today. So I'll just add my quick one uh, just to say happy Mother's Day to my wife and to my mom who is here. You are extraordinary women as it is already, but you're also really great moms too. So thank you so much for being a great mom to me and a mother to our child. Um, y'all are just wonderful people. So thank you. I am blessed by you. We got to stop there. Or I'm just going to lose it. Being like becoming a dad is maybe a huge crybaby. I just cry at stuff all the time. I used to never cry. Heart of stone. But now I'm just, I'm just a big baby. So anyways, uh, for four weeks now, we've been in this series called Seeds of a Better Life. It is a series uh, where we have noted this shared ambition that we all have, that we seek a better life. Even if we have no real complaints about our life now, we always seek better. We don't, in fact, actively seek worse we don't, want, we don't wake up every day worrying, oh my gosh, how am I going to make my life worse today? We wake up and go, how can I make my life better? How can I pursue what is better and what is good? But the challenge that we all face is how exactly do we define this word better and this better life that we seek? Because day after day, we are surrounded uh, by messages promising us that better life offering us a path to reach what is better, what they might call better. And they might come by it innocently, but we know that often those paths that we travel, if that is, if that is what our hope is placed in, uh, we will be disappointed and we will not find what is better. We will not be seeking or pursuing that which we ultimately desire, what our heart longs for and what God longs for us. When we looked at the scriptures in week one, we saw some ancient Jewish wisdom from the Psalms that told us that the better life is the planted life. In Psalm 1, they call it the blessed life. It is a characteristic of a life that pursues God, or as they describe it, it is like a tree planted near streams of water. This image of the planted life is a way for us to think about what it means to actually grow and mature into a better life. It is a process that is intentional. It is a process that is gradual and not instant and immediate like we wish it was. It is a life that is situated toward God, directed toward God, moving toward God always. It's about faithful living, not simply for ourselves, but for, for everybody, for others, for the whole world, for creation, and in essence, for God. So... Uh, so far, we've looked at two specific seeds in relation to that, right? We were planting specific seeds in our life that helps us have the planted life, right? The better life and how we might cultivate the better life. And the first one was the seed of our beliefs. Our beliefs are the stories that govern our life's story. They're the truths that guide us. They're the things that we know, that we hold on to, that help us make decisions uh, each and every day. And what we, what we looked at was our belief about God as being the utmost and uh, important thing in our life. 
Because the narrative that we have about God, how we see God, how we think about God, will determine how we interact not only with God, but with God's world. And if that narrative is in some way distorted, it will actually hinder the growth that we hope to have. But if we are able to embrace the narrative of God that Jesus gives us, as Christians, we look to Jesus as the ultimate example of the character, the heart and the character of God. So if we are able to look at Jesus' life, if we are able to hear Jesus' words and the way Jesus portrays God, if we are able to embrace that narrative about who God is, we might actually find the truer picture of God that we might direct our lives toward. And we might find uh, life there. If our image of God is vindictive or punitive, right, uh, then that's how we interact with God. We, our lives will reflect that distorted truth of somebody who is never worthy and who is always messing things up and begins to lose hope because they know that no matter what, God's just waiting with a couple lightning bolts in his hand uh, to punish you. But when we find the story that Jesus tells, the image of God, the heart and the character of God that Jesus portrays for us, we find a good God, a present God, a grace-filled God, a truth-filled God that loves us already as we are, but also pushes us forward into who we want to be and who he wants us to be. That's how powerful our beliefs are, and that's where it starts with us. That's the first seed, but that alone is not enough. Just believing the right things, thinking the right things is not near enough for our life because if we don't continue to engage those beliefs and those truths in our life in an outward way, we might find ourselves when we come across trouble, when we come across challenge, to drift away. We might find ourselves further away from the truth we once knew. And we might find ourselves having trouble trusting that. So last week we talked about the second of the three seeds, which was our practices. Spiritual practices are those activities that we consistently engage deliberately and constantly over time that help remind us of those truths that we know. We begin rehearsing them and reinforcing them and then reenacting them in the world. This is what practices do for us. Uh, but we have to remember in all of this that our spiritual practices are about yearning. It's not about earning. There's no right technique. There's no uh, perfect way to do it that God then is more pleased with the way you practice your faith. It's about drawing near to God, about creating space for the Holy Spirit to work within, it, within us. God's grace is not a prize to be received or a reward to be granted to us upon all of our good behavior and right practices. No matter how hard we try, you can't earn it. No matter how hard you try, you can't unearn it. It's just going to be there. It is there, but it is what gives us the freedom and the trust in a good and perfect and graceful God to continue to pursue, even though when we find ourselves falling short often. We can pursue God unafraid because God loves us first, no matter what. As we commit ourselves to these practices, and we continually draw ourselves nearer to God who can speak truths in our lives, we might begin to notice that change that we hope for, a transformation in our life. That's when it starts to sprout, right? The seeds that we, we see them start to sprout and grow. It's not instant. It doesn't happen overnight. 
It's gradual. In his book, uh, Outliers, uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book. Has anybody read Outliers? There's probably a few people upstairs. There's a couple in here, right? Very good. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, I'll tell you. You probably actually know a lot of, uh, of what it's about. Malcolm Gladwell writes this book uh, about the best and the brightest, the most successful, the most famous, uh, the outliers in our culture and in our world. And he asks this question, what makes high achievers different? You know, when you look at that, somebody, you're like, man, I just don't know how they do it. They're amazing. Look at them. I wish I could be like that. And we start to look at them and what do they do and like try to mimic those behaviors, right? Uh, this is what Malcolm Gladwell is asking. How do these high achievers become such, right? Like how, how are they different from us? And if you have read this book, you've come across this. But you, if you haven't, uh, you can Google it. Google Outliers. And this is probably what will come up. Outliers is where many people became familiar with the 10,000-hour rule. Sounding more familiar to people now? Maybe just a couple more? Okay. 10,000-hour rule. This is an idea that was originated uh, with uh, a guy named Anders Ericsson, where he studied the same thing that Malcolm Gladwell was studying, these people that were great, right? And how did they become great? And what he boiled it down to was, you know, basically on average, not as a hard and fast rule, but on average, these people that became masters of their craft, whether it's music or, or art or uh, some sport, uh, anything, people that became masters of their craft, software development, had spent at least 10,000 hours practicing that craft. 10,000 hours, which averages about, uh, out to about 90 minutes a day for 20 years, <laughs> right? A long time. It's not really something you can even track or count. And that's kind of the point here, is that we all know practice is important to becoming good at something, to becoming great, to have that thing become such a part of who you are that it's almost a reflex to act in those ways. But what, Ander, uh, what Erickson says and what Gladwell is portraying out as part of this rule is that it might be a lot more than we think. Something that we can't even count. Something that we just have to commit to and just do every single day and it will seem like forever but sometime down the road, we will, real, we will look back and realize how different we are from when we started. That's what Gladwell uh, is portraying here. But contrary to popular belief, Outliers is not really about that. If you Google it, everybody's like, oh, this is what it's about, 10,000 hour rule. But that's not really what it's about. In an interview uh, on a podcast, uh, Gladwell said this, that this is kind of what everybody's big takeaway was from my book. But what I wanted to, people to move away from was the notion of success as something individual. There's this kind of heroic notion, he says, of the lone genius. It's very popular here in the United States. And I wanted to say to people that that notion was no, has no basis in reality. The 10,000-hour stuff that I put in Outliers was really only intended to perform a very specific kind of argumentative function. It was a step. And that function, which was to him, the point of the 10,000-hour 10, rule, was that if it takes that long to be good at something, you can't do it by yourself. If it's going to take that long, that much effort, and that much investment in something to become good at it, it cannot be done alone. Because the long road of becoming good at something, the long road of investing yourself in something to become great at it, 
is going to be full of resistance. There's going to be times when you butt up against challenges or obstacles, times where you don't want to get up and practice, right? Times when you have, feel like you've hit a wall and you just want to throw the whole thing away and start something new. You will meet resistance. And that resistance over that span of time is too much for any single person to handle. It requires a group of people marching that way together, encouraging and inspiring and challenging each other along the way. So our beliefs about who God is and who we are in relation to God and how we relate to God and God's world are super important, but they're not enough. Because if that's all we have, we will eventually drift away from those beliefs. We'll start believing the other messages that surround us. The spiritual practices that we engage in help to remind us and reinforce those truths in our lives. But they too, while they are very important, are not enough alone to sustain the momentum we need to persevere into the growth and to cultivate that better life. We need a third seed, and that seed is community. It's community. Community is the context where real transformation occurs. It's where real growth takes place, not superficial growth, not flash-in-the-pan sort of growth, but real, long-term, sustained growth because we are connected to fellow travelers on the journey. Any good ecosystem flourishes with diverse life, and it's all symbiotic. They help each other. Right? All these organisms and, uh, live together in these healthy ecosystems, and you begin to see how they each feed off of one another. They help each other grow. This is what true community is, and this is where transformation takes place. We express that here in our church, church family as one of our five core values. We believe firmly that shared lives lead to changed lives. It's something that we, we hope to continue to invest in heavily. I know many of you are invested in that way, finding groups and being deeply connected to communities uh, of faith that help you grow. It's one of the ways we uh, communicate this idea of community being essential to our growth. Because we believe that, a, that significant change in our individual lives takes place within the context of community. Lives that are shared together. If we were to look back at our text for today, our scripture, thank you, Diana, for reading that so well. Uh, If we look back at the scripture today here in Hebrews, we see this, right? Uh, I don't know if you've spent much time in, in the book of Hebrews here. It's one that kind of gets lost. It's kind of buried back there. You'll, you recognize a lot of quotes from it. It's, it's a really great one to read. Um, but it kind of gets lost and forgotten back there because by this time, you've gone through like all the big ones, right? You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You've had all Paul's letters. Like, you know, I mean, and all of a sudden you find Hebrews here tucked away in the back that is just full of really great stuff. Now, one of the hard things for me whenever I study scripture is that I want to know everything about everything, right? Like, what is the thing? Like, tell me everything about this. I want to know it, right? So that I can pick out all the truth from it. Uh, But this one's really hard. Hebrews always troubles me because we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. We know, or at least we think we know, uh, who wrote a lot of these things. But we're not really sure who wrote Hebrews. We're actually not even really sure who it's addressed to. Uh, the, The title isn't really all that helpful for us. Uh, But even though we can't know everything about it, we know kind of general sense of where it is, one of the earlier uh, writings that we have preserved for us in the text, and we can't know everything about it. But what we can know by reading this is much like what we can know about any other book. 
uh, even the ones that we know specifically who the authors are and who the intended audience is. We might not know geographically who these people are, but we know what's going on in their church. We know what's going on in their community of faith. So what we have here, uh, and I'll spare you all of the fun facts and research that gets us here. If you want, you can ask me after church and I'll spend two hours telling you. But uh, uh, what we have here uh, is a letter, but really even more so than a letter. It's actually written in a very ancient rabbi, rabbinic, right, sermon form. This is a sermon. It's a sermon that was written and probably sent to a community that was to then be delivered to the community. It's a sermon. And so what I will do for the sake of simplicity as we go through this, I will refer to the writer as the preacher. And I'm not talking about myself, talking about this person and the letter as the sermon. So that's what we'll do going forward here. Hebrews is a sermon written by a preacher to a specific community with an urgent problem, big problem, big threat happening to this community here. What is that problem, you ask? Oh, I heard somebody ask it. What what is that problem? (laughs) The threat, the problem that this church is facing is actually a astonishingly, astonishingly contemporary one. It is one that I think is probably more relevant to churches today here in America than any other thing that we read that is targeted to a community in the first century. What we have here, the problem, is not uh, the problem that we often find in many of the New Testament writings. This problem that this congregation is facing is not that they're charging off in the wrong direction of their faith and they got some doctrine wrong, right? They need to learn the right things before they just continue off gallivanting around doing their church stuff. It's not that there's some physical enemy or oppression or threat. It's not even some blatant, obvious sin, right? It's not any of those things that are typically addressed by people like Paul and the gospel writers. What we have here instead, the problem that this congregation is facing is that they are tired. Tired. The preacher writes to this congregation that is exhausted. They're tired of worship. They're tired of serving the world. They're tired of reading their Bibles. They're tired of trying to live differently from everyone else that they interact with out in their world. They're tired of being whispered about by those who do not espouse the same faith or live the same life that they live. They're tired of the spiritual struggle and wrestling with what is true and how they should live. They are tired of keeping their prayer life going. They're not even sure it's even working, right? They're just tired of it. They're tired of trying to figure out the truth about who Jesus is. This congregation is exhausted. For a second there, you forgot I was talking about that congregation, right? Told you it was relevant. This community that the preacher writes to is losing their confidence. They're losing their faith, not because of some big giant like threat. It's just they're, they're weary. They've been doing this for a while now. They've been praying your kingdom come and they just... They see it in little pockets, but they just don't. I mean, they thought by now Jesus would have come back and just fixed it all, right? And they're tired. They're growing weak. 
because they have been at it for so long. They are worn down and worn out from walking this narrow road that has been set before them, facing this constant resistance that they encounter along the way. They're worn out. They're tired of walking the walk, right? So they're ready to just walk away from it. Walk away from their faith. Walk away from this church that has been started here with this little community of believers. And as the preacher draws near the end of his sermon here, he comes to this so what moment. The preacher has taken the listener on this long journey uh, of who Christ is and who Christ has been for us and now must answer the question that is on everybody's hearts and minds. Well, if what you say is true, preacher, what are we supposed to do now? If what you're saying is true, I'm willing to go there with you, what shall we do in response to that? That's what the preacher has to address here. What? After all this 10 chapters worth, right, of talking about this stuff, now what shall we do? And the preacher gives them three lettuces. Three let us is, right? I don't know how you plural that. I tried. Three lettuces doesn't make any sense, but. I'm so glad y'all laughed at that. I, I was giggling when I was writing that. I was like. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna burn all day. Like you're just three lettuces. Oh my gosh. Like The preacher says in response, this is what we do. Because of who Christ is for us, the way that Christ is made for us, the hope that we find, this is what we do. First is let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Verse 22 says that if you want to underline. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings as a way has been made for us. Our hearts have been sprinkled to cleanse us with a guilty, of the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Grace is available to us. The second one is this, verse 23. Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. As we draw near to God, we hear the promises of God. We know that God is faithful. So now we can hold on to hope because the God that promises it is faithful. And then verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on or inspire, uh, you're not a Spurs fan, how we might inspire one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's not give up meeting together. We draw near to God. We try to hold on to hope, but we need each other to inspire one another on to those good deeds and how to love each other and to encourage each other along the way. Even more today than ever, we need each other. This is what the preacher says. We cannot do this alone. We have to have each other. On our own faith journey, 
we will face resistance. Many of you are facing it now or have, have faced it before. You face resistance in your life. You face these hurdles or these obstacles in your faith that discourage us and might keep us from moving forward. This is why Jesus called it a narrow road, right? Few find it and even fewer actually travel down it because it's difficult. It brings life and it, and it gives us life and it leads us toward the better life. It's how we grow and mature, but that doesn't make it easy. We face our own doubt. We face lack of direction. We don't know how to do it. We don't know where we're going. We, 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 uh, we, we face a lack of perspective because we only see it our own way if we're not connected to others that are helping us see things in our life that we cannot see. We face opposition from others that do not like our faith, that do not like you for having that faith. I think that's less people than we think, but it still happens. We face fatigue. We're just tired. We feel like we've been doing the same things over and over, and we've hit one of those plateaus where we were growing, and we felt this was awesome, and then all of a sudden it kind of levels off, and it feels like now the growth is so tiny and incremental that it's almost unobservable. And so we grow tired, wondering if this is it, when just on the other side there's that next level of growth that is awaiting us. Our beliefs alone are not enough. Our practices alone are not enough. They are all incredibly important, but it is not enough to sustain the growth in us. We need community. We need each other. A community of faith where we are drawing near to God with others who desire the same thing. With others who are positioning themselves toward God, pursuing God, planting themselves next to the source of life. We need each other so that we might draw near to God Together, we need a community of faith where we are finding hope and holding on to that hope when we desperately need it and when it would make much more sense and be much easier if we were on our own to just let it go, to just leave it alone, to drop it. But instead, we have those that will not let us give up, those that will continue to love us and support us and encourage us and hold us up when we can't hold ourselves up. We need that faith community. We need a community of faith, a web of relationships that is knit together here in which we are inspired and challenged and encouraged to actually live out our faith in the world, to find new and creative ways in which we can share the grace that was so freely shared with us. When it would be so much easier to just step away, there's a web of people to catch us to encourage us, to challenge us when we are stale and stagnant and to move us forward on that narrow road. This seed of community is certainly one that we personally plant, right? It's something that we pursue as individuals, right? We seek out community because just in the same way, we as an individuals can uh, can retract from community, can isolate ourselves just as easy. We pursue it. We look for it. We, pl we plant that seed. Last week, Pastor David uh, told this story of, of a member of the church that he knows that uh, shared with him some wonderfully challenging words that even challenged me. Uh, I, I, I wasn't expecting it. They, those words that come out, and you're like, oh my gosh, like I needed to hear that. He told this story of this guy that said, you know, I, I did not decide to come to church this Sunday. 
I decided to come to church when I became a Christian. This wasn't something that I woke up and decided, well, this week, I need to be sure and, and be there, right? Because this week, I need it. It's been a rough week. It's something he decided when he decided to follow Jesus, that this was a commitment that he was going to make to be deeply engaged in a community of faith, like the church. Something that we can personally do. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't an optional thing. It was something, it was just part of it. To be a place where he's drawing near to God with others, holding on to hope, and encouraging others. But this is also a commitment that a church makes. See, in these days when you're writing, like there's, there's no 501c3 like that you fill out, no nonprofit status, right? There's no like organization. It's just a group of people who just decide to keep meeting together in their homes. But as we have grown and as the faith has grown and as Christianity has grown, we find ourselves in these places like this where we have walls and lights and, and, and people that come and, and find their chair and, and we sing together and we do all of these things that the preacher here encourages us to do in the sermon we just do it here. And we have budgets and we have committees and councils and all those things. We make this go. And, and, and one of the great things about that is that organization can then look at itself and commit itself to practices itself, right? To practices that it can employ to help people get connected to God, help people draw near to God, help people get connected with one another. The church can help foster that sort of community, can help uh, create environments where that kind of community can exist. This is something I believe that this church has done so incredibly well over the years. I've, I've been here, this is going to shock many of you, I have been here for 12 years. Do you know that? David, yeah. oh, are you clapping because I made it 12 years? Is that yeah, so far? Right. Like, no. Uh, I always say that because it's like a joke. Everybody thinks I'm like 15 years old already. And so, uh, but I've been working at this church for 12 years now. And I knew it from the second I stepped foot on this campus. I could feel it. There was something different here than any other church I had been a part of. A church that was committed to this type of community building. And, and it was evident, right? Because the byproduct of that often is growth that you see in the church, being people being connected to something that their heart deeply desires. It was happening. And for the past 10 years, year over year, we've seen, seen an average of 10% growth each and every year here at this church because people are finding that, finding their home here. Even over these past 24 months where we've had really significant transitions in this church, it's still continuing. That's unheard of. No church, especially no organization, has that. But one of the things that we know as a church as well is that we're not satisfied with just saying, well, it's worked for 10 years, right? That's going to keep working forever. There's only one thing that's constant in this world, and that's Christ, right? But we, we look back and we're like, we, we know that if we just sit back and let what we have done for so many years and just keep patting ourselves on the back. Like, look how great we've been done. You know, this is awesome. Pretty soon we'll find ourselves in a place where we are drifting. Because we're not committed to fully engaging in those practices as an organization. That engage uh, people in drawing nearer to God and connecting with one another. So like any rapidly growing organization, ours has grown complex. And some of the things that we have done best over the years... We've become less clear about. 
some of the things that have helped us get to the place where we are now. Many people on the outside and many people on the inside look around and go like, who does that now? How, how do we do that? How do we get people connected in real life-giving ways? And if we as a church are going to continue to live into our mission, to, to live into the call in our lives that God has placed on us, to make disciples of Jesus, to make the name of Jesus known, to get people connected in real life-giving community, right? Then we got to do better at that. That's a task that we all take up as a church, as people of faith, helping people find their place, find their seat, and get connected. But this is also a great challenge for us as a pastoral staff, something that we constantly pray about and constantly look at. And so over these past couple weeks, well, for years, really, we've been praying about it, but over these past couple weeks, we've been uh, engaged in some really deep discussion about that. And one of those things that I've realized about myself is this is an area of ministry I'm particularly passionate about. There's been a long time where I felt myself separated from the church. And I didn't know how to get in. And I knew there was something missing, but I didn't know how to break back into that. And so I care so deeply about people finding a church home, finding their seat, finding welcome, finding a place where people know their name, where they can be known and know other people to draw near to God and to find hope. I care so deeply about that because I believe the church is the best hope for this world because we carry the best message for this world. So I got to wrap this up. After talking with Pastor Jim and Pastor David, uh, I have decided to accept that responsibility here at this church. It is a responsibility that is a vast role. And some of it is still cloudy. We don't know what it is, but we know it is huge and it is going to take a lot. And it is something that is a challenge that I want to meet because I care too much about this church and I care too much about people to let that go unaddressed. My hope and the hope of our pastors and leadership is that I am able to do for the entire church what I've been able to do in the short time I have helped lead the well and the well cafe. From the time we started the well cafe three years ago, four years ago, uh, and I was, the, I was a new pastor and they, they uh, had me lead that community to the past year when I've been able to preach this. But to do that for the entire church, what I've been able to do for this community. As part of that new role, there's going to be a couple things that will have to change along with that. One of those is the way we deliver the message here. Now that's going to be uh, not so much of a change up in the cafe because it's something that you've always experienced, but it's going to be a little more dramatic change down here. It's going to be a little more noticeable down here if you've regularly attended uh, the well. But we're going to be presenting that to you here in the chapel in a way, in a brand new way, which is, I mean, much more engaging. And we are, we are still in the process of uh, getting those days lined out when we can install all of those things. And uh, I'm excited for you to see it. I'm excited to see it myself. But here's what that means. While I will no longer be able to preach to you each and every week, it is still something that I am incredibly passionate about doing. Preaching, I love to do it, and I will get to continue to do regularly. It just will not be every single week, and, and, and the method will be in a little different way. One of the great joys and honors of my life is to have had the opportunity over this past year to be here with you, share the burden of hope and truth of God that has been on my heart, that has so changed my life that I hope has changed yours. 
I love this worship community. You, you are preacher's heaven. Like, I, I am so blessed, and I make all of my other preacher friends so jealous because I get to preach to you week in and week out. You are preacher's heaven. You laugh at all of my dumb jokes, like lettuces and things like that. <laughs> and you have welcomed in a young preacher like me. You have been graceful, and you have allowed for mistakes and me saying stupid things. You've allowed that here. That's a testament to your faith and the strength of your commitment to support and grow young leaders, which has been another reason why this church has been so amazing. Here's the good news that comes along with that. Thanks to this new delivery system that we'll have, Pastor David will be able to share his sermon with the entire church. He is one of the best preachers I have ever heard in my life. I have learned so much from him, and I still to this day. He is one of the most significant people in my life. In fact, I would say that I would never have accepted my call to be a pastor. I would never know that that call was even on my life if it weren't for him. He's an incredible pastor and leader, and that's all stuff that I don't need to tell you because he's been that for most of you as well. If he hasn't been that for you, it's just because you haven't met him yet. And then now, more than ever, it is vital for his wisdom and his vision as we grow into this next phase of who we are as a church and this next phase of, of reaching people we have yet to reach. It is now more than ever important that we are led by him. He is the most capable person that I know, and he is going to take us into that new frontier of growth and influence in our own surrounding community. So all this is going to begin June 4th. Uh, it's not starting tomorrow or, or next week. There's a lot that's changing, and I know change can be disruptive, but here's what is not changing. Each of you who attend the Well and the Well Cafe week in and week out, and everybody who will find their way here over the coming days will experience and participate in the same dynamic hour of worship that we've all— well, this was like an hour and ten minutes, but the same hour of worship— <laughs> generally speaking, the same hour of worship that we've come to know and love that has been so transformative for us. The people that lead us in worship and in song will still be here leading us in amazing song. There will be a great message, great pastoral leadership that will be physically present here with us in each one of our spaces. These worshipful spaces will continue to be so, the ones that you've come to know and love and, and the ones that have been transformative for you, and most importantly, the real strength of this community. The real strength here will not change because the real strength of a faith community is not its building, it's not its space, even though it is a wonderful space and that's a wonderful space upstairs. These are amazing spaces, but it's not the space. The real strength is not the music, even though it's the best music in the world. The real strength isn't even the pastor, as much as I would love it to be. The real strength is you. That's the real strength of a community, is each and every one of you. It's the people that are sitting next to you right now, that you get to say hi to during our greeting times. It's the people that you see each and every week as you grab a fresh cup of coffee. It's the people that you run into in the halls. It's your family and your friends and those that you go to eat lunch with after church. It's going to be dinner at this point. Uh, 
that talk about the questions that you have and, 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 and the things that brought up because God spoke a fresh truth into your heart and you have to talk about it because you're not even sure you agree with it, but we got to talk about it because it's challenging me. That's what true community is. And I believe this, that our comfort zone, the things that make us comfortable are really great places to recover, right? When you're hurting, when you're lost, like having that comfortable place is a great place to to find that rest, but it is not the place in which we grow. And so when we have things into our lives that might feel disruptive, that we might go, I don't know if I like this, you know, no matter how great the thing is, you can see on paper that this is great, but it just doesn't feel right. I feel disrupted a little bit. That's where real growth happens, When you're going to plant a garden, you just don't drop seeds on hard soil. You till up the ground. And I believe that's what happens often when we change things, that there's incredible growth on the other side of it. We have to embrace it and live into it. This is a true community, one that I've been a part of for so many years, will continue to be a part of. It's what sustains our hope and growth, and it is made up of all of us. It's what the strength of it is. So let us, let us continue to draw near to God with a sincere heart together. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess together. And let us consider how we might continue to inspire one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another on our journey of faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your truth and love. We thank you for very patient people who sit through long messages. We thank you for your truth, God, that rests on our heart and that spurs us on, God, as we draw near to you, as we profess unswervingly this hope, God, that we hold on to, that you have given us, God. May we transfer that all into a way that we meet together, inspire one another, and encourage one another to continue to do all of those things, and then go out in the world and serve in the way that we have been served. May we be a true community, God, built on your name and on your hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.